it has to start organically first because one thing is that uh, it's cheaper so you won't run you won't go out of business like after six months because you're running ads and yeah so i think you need to do things organically first because i noticed some folks approach us uh with barely anything set up uh, in their website uh, with uh, little clients, let's say one or two clients, and they want to start scaling. So I think, I think the concept here is that you shouldn't, you shouldn't scale prematurely. You're listening to Real Marketing Real Fast, the only podcast that brings you unfiltered, undaunted, insider information on the latest tools and technologies for online marketers. Prepare to dive deep into marketing myths, breakthrough models, and cutting-edge strategies that will have an immediate impact on the growth of your business. And now, here's your host, marketing expert, Doug Morneau. Well, welcome back, listeners, to another episode of Real Marketing Real Fast. Today in studio, I've got joining me Ken Costellis. He is the founder and the lead consultant for a company called Monolith Growth Consulting. That uh, They are a paid search and social media agencies that helps Shopify stores and lead generation businesses around the world to grow their revenue and their ROI. Ken is a 2019 honoree listed in the Forbes 30 Under 30 Asia for marketing and advertising. And what sets Ken's agency apart is that they build fully paid ad funnels for their clients. They specialize in customizing the landing page and the emails to maximize conversions. They build a custom dashboard where the clients get to see all sorts of data like customer lifetime value, frequency of purchase, basket analysis, right to maximize retention. So before starting his own agency, Ken worked as a brand operations manager for Procter & Gamble and has managed multi-million dollar businesses in Asia like Olay and Head and & Shoulders. So I'd like to welcome Ken to the Real Marketing Real Fast podcast today. So hey, Ken, super excited to have you on the Real Marketing Real Fast podcast today. So welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. So I love talking about marketing and business and lead generation. And that mm-hmm. seems that's your wheelhouse and that's where you have your expertise. So do you want to share with our listeners just, you know, it's kind of an overview of the types of services that uh, you typically offer to your clients? Sure. Happy to do so. Um, so we're mainly a marketing, uh, digital marketing agency. Now, in terms of the clients that we serve, they normally classify under um, two categories. Um, one is in the e-commerce space. So we mostly help out uh, Shopify businesses, uh, WooCommerce businesses grow their ROI online, uh, whether it is uh, through Facebook ads, uh, Google ads, or email marketing is something that we help them out with. So that's one category. And the other category is uh, what I would generally term as uh, lead generation businesses. So it covers quite the gamut of uh, sub-industries. So we've helped out consumer services businesses. So that means interior design firms. We've also helped out a construction services firm. Uh, Specifically, what they do is that uh, they help out architects, engineers uh, do 3D modeling. So basically, it's a service company. And we've also helped out IT staffing companies as well. So I think when it comes to helping clients get more qualified leads, if you're in the B2B space, or if you're just trying to get more sales on the e-commerce space, uh, that's where we specialize in. So where, where's the starting point? So when you, you know, when you engage a client or client goes to your website and, and ask for, uh, you know, request a free audit or connects with you, yeah. um, where's the starting conversation? I mean, I think uh, you mentioned early on uh, when we were chatting before we started recording that uh, kind of mm-hmm. you start with strategy. So what does that look like? 
Sure. So what happens uh, when you jump into a call uh, for the free audit is that uh, there's going to be a 30 to 40 minute conversation. And what I'm going to ask there is essentially what you've done before. So what you've done before in terms of marketing, in terms of Facebook ads, Google ads, uh, email marketing, etc. So it's really trying to get a lot of context of what you're doing right now. And what's going to happen after that is uh, we're going to request uh, just view only access uh, to some uh, platforms. So we will request view access to Google Analytics, uh, Facebook ads, and Google ads. And what we do is that we take and study all of the activities that you've done before and compare it with our internal best practices. So what's going to happen after three days is that we're going to hand make for you a proper audit. It's about 30 to 40 slides. So it's not you know, it's not from some automation, some uh, software or something. So it's really done by one of our experts internally. So it takes about three days to complete. And what's going to happen is that we're going to tell you, like, it's it's about like a 30 to 40 uh, point checklist that, hey, yep. this is what you're doing now. And this is what you can do in the future to improve results. So that's how we demonstrate our expertise and demonstrate our strategic capability to any potential client. So do all of the people, like just in your experience, do you find that most of the, the people you're working with actually have Google AdWords and, and analytics set up on, on their sites? So I would say for e-commerce folks, I would say 90 to 95% do. So most of the e-commerce folks do have that in place. When it comes to lead generation businesses, not so much. I think only 20 to 30% have that. So for a good chunk of our lead generation clients, when we're starting out, uh, we set up everything from scratch. And what happens there is we basically just import all of the uh, best practices that we use already for our clients uh, into that uh, lead generation business. Uh, if, for example, they don't have anything set up yet. Now, the, the next question is, I mean, there's lots of people have it set up. How, um, how many, and I'm not talking about specifically just your clients, but when you're in the marketplace talking to businesses um, and looking at other people's businesses, like you said, you're doing a lot of audits. Yeah. How many people have the Google ad or the analytics set up correctly? I mean, because there's one thing to have it set up and mm -hmm. it's a whole different story to have it set up correctly. So you're getting meaningful data. Right, right. So I would say it's honestly very rare. So I would say like only one to two percent have it set up correctly because of what most people do is that they assume that they just install the the main code on the website and then they're done. But there's a lot of things that also need to happen under the hood. So there are like a couple of things that's missing. I've noticed one is a proper goal tracking inside the website. So for example, if you have a contact us form, which I think is very standard across all B2B businesses or businesses in general, uh, they normally don't have a goal tracking code installed on the thank you page after people submit their details. So I think that's a big piece that's missing because you don't really know, um, number one, what are the queries that are driving that contact us page? Meaning, uh, are they using a certain keyword uh, to get introduced uh, to your offer into your website. So I think that's one thing that's missing. And the other thing that's missing, I noticed, is that uh, a lot of people don't also install the Search Console inside the website. So Search Console is basically this internal tool within Google Analytics that allows uh, business owners to figure out uh, which keywords are driving organic traffic traffic to their website. So I think those are the two things uh, which are missing uh, after the simple Google Analytics installation. And so for our listeners who are not familiar with that, um, yeah. how difficult a process is that for, for you to set that up for somebody? So I think for Google Search Console, uh, I think it's, uh, it's, it's a fairly straightforward process. But the thing is, the UI is so bad that it's hard to find that uh, area. So, um, <laughs> yeah, so maybe like uh, maybe in the show notes or something a week, I can like show that link where people can at least set that up. Yeah. So that, that one's fairly simple. As for the goal tracking, I think... 
uh, it's a bit difficult for most people I notice because uh, it requires some awareness on because because sometimes uh, they build a website but it doesn't necessarily have a thank you page so it could just have a thank you message so right, if yeah. that is the interaction then it gets really really technical uh, because uh, it requires some additional JavaScript or some additional code to set up but if it's a thank you page like say for example service.com slash thank dash you, then it's fairly straightforward because uh, you can simply enter the URL um, into that goal tracking um, page uh, inside Google because Google will, would normally ask, hey, is there a URL that we can use as an identifier that people have submitted the form? So at least if your website is structured that way where it has a proper thank you page, then it's easy. But if not, if it's just a message, then it gets a bit more technical and it requires some additional code uh, to work out. Well, and I've just been up updating some of my own stuff for my my own online uh, lead generation and email sign up. And one of the uh, one of the guests I had on my podcast last year talked about adding value at the thank you page. And so, mm -hmm. you know, I've taken that to to you know, if I'm promising people value if they sign up, um, you might as well start rewarding them right away by giving them access to some private information right on the thank you pages. Hey, thanks for signing up. This is what I promised, and without making them go to the email. So I think that's a great point. Uh, make sure you've got a thank you page set up. It's a time good time to reinforce um, whatever it is that they bought or signed up for and to surprise them by by adding some value while they're there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's definitely great um, because uh, it is be best practice uh, for sure to have some item or some PDF on the thank you page, something that demonstrates your expertise further. So because normally when people uh, visit the website, uh, there's normally a lack of trust. So what they normally do is that they try to go around the website, they try to understand your background, your history. And then once they do sign up, it's not over yet. Like the, the selling process is not over yet. So having a PDF uh, definitely makes a lot of sense to build more trust and rapport with uh, with the potential client. Now, um, are you, what are you seeing for trends in terms of lead generation? I mean, you know, kind of what, what are best practices today for, for businesses that are listening or people that are in the service industry that um, are looking to generate leads? Sure. I've noticed uh, two uh, specific trends. So I would split it into two. So there's like a for SME businesses and uh, medium to large businesses, which work with a lot of uh, enterprises. So when it comes to SMEs, uh, I still think that uh, Facebook ads is really, really strong um, in that space, but not just Facebook ads. Uh, I, what I also notice a lot of small business owners do is that they also use organic Facebook as a platform. And when I mean organic Facebook, it's not your Facebook page, but rather it's you like Ken Costales or Doug Morneau, that's actually adding business owners within Facebook and they're using their own Facebook page uh, to create original content. And I think- the so, so you're talking about the, you're talking about the personal page then, not my business page, but my personal page. Exactly, your personal okay. page. Because I think one major trend nowadays is that uh, people don't, or rather people don't buy brands, people buy people, especially when you're dealing with uh, small business owners. So using yourself as a personal brand and making sure that your page is really active with, with anything really. So I don't, normally the best practice is to not to be overly selly. So you should continue to still post your personal things there. So I would say the ratio is about 60-40. So 60% business, 40% personal, just so the person can know you at a much more personal level. Because uh, from the looks of it, at least in the SME space, people buy people and not necessarily brands. So I think that's one interesting trend that I'm seeing that's working really, really well for some of our clients. 
So yeah, I've, I've noticed mm -hmm. as well. I've seen a few people that are that are doing that and they're getting great engagement. And I think it also, you know, if you want to look at it, it also gives people a better understanding who you are. I mean, so often they see a brand, right. uh, whatever the brand is, and it's like, okay, the brand looks nice. It's got the right collateral and it looks like a brand where when you get the personal Facebook page, you get a glimpse at the person you see, hey, here I am with my wife or my family or my kids right. or my grandkids or on the soccer field. So you get a better understanding of who the person is. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. So that works really well because again, the normal, the usual barrier is not necessarily how good you are because I think people know that a lot, there are a lot of like great talent um, across the world or in your area, but the, the big jump or the big hurdle that you need to overcome is really trust and having that personal brand up and active uh, helps uh, solve that problem. Now, in terms of building trust, I mean, you know, so there's the personal Facebook page is one. Uh, mm -hmm. What other opportunities do you think that, uh, you know, you guys have been able to help your clients to to kind of speed that process up? I mean, it's just really, you know, the question is, do you want to do it in a, in a, a few weeks or a month or do you want to take years to do it? So, you know, how do you guys help people um, to to do that? Okay, so in terms of how we help people do that is, um, so the personal page or the personal branding is more on an emotional level, but there's also in a much more, I would say, logical uh, level, which is on the website, uh, what we normally do to improve trust for B2B businesses is to do a lot of PDF downloadables or basically white papers or primers. It really depends on the industry. So if it's uh, in the SME space, um, it can be something like a free checklist or a uh, or a webinar that they can opt into. Uh, but that's using, I would say, a language that makes sense for small business owners. But if it becomes, or if rather, if we serve uh, someone in the enterprise B2B space, then the language becomes different. So it now becomes a white paper for, let's say, BIM services. BIM is like building um, information modeling, for example. So for these folks in the enterprise B2B space, the language becomes not free checklist or free PDF. It now becomes primer, white paper. But the concept on a marketing standpoint is still clear, which is you need to show and demonstrate value. You need to show uh, that the company or you as a person know what you're doing um, in terms of the service that you're trying to offer. Yeah, and that that totally makes sense. I mean, I think you know um, these days there's so many um, so many people are subscribed to to lists or, or following you on social media. If you're not adding value, I'm just going to tune you out because right. it's just more noise. Right. Yeah, and uh, people default to. I mean, to be honest, like uh, in a like in a very saturated world, um, it's really two things: either you're the person who talks the most, or you're the person with the most unique ideas. Like that's only the two things or the two ways that you can win in this um, much more crowded market. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. So, I, I'm afraid to find out what category I'm in, so I'm not going yeah. to ask. <laughs> so, uh, how, so when you're um, when you're working with your clients and helping them to generate leads, how yeah. do you um, help them identify and get quality leads opposed to, you know, just a tire kicker or, or, or you know, the, the wrong lead, someone just looking for information? I mean, often what I hear is that, the clients um, are confused with, you know, what does it cost to get a lead? And they're more worried about how many leads they get in the cost. And I'm more worried about the quality than I am either the cost or the number of leads. If we don't get the quality right, it doesn't seem to matter. So how do you yeah. guys, uh, how do you guys help your clients optimize for that? Sure. Um, so what we do there is that we try to 
reverse engineer their sales process. So what normally happens is that uh, we have a meeting with uh, the business development team or the business owner if the business owner is leading the sales um, initiatives. And what we try to diagnose is really uh, two things. Um, one is we try to understand who are the people that they're talking to and really understand their profile. So for example, for one of our clients, uh, we so this is for the... Um, construction services company. So what they do is that uh, they provide 3D modeling services. So it's really for architects, engineers, etc. Um, so what we did there is that we figured out that they had uh, four different target markets that they're serving. So it's like architects, there's um, engineers, general contractors, and business owners. So that's like one starting point. And the other question that we ask is, okay, among those four target markets, um, which one has the most like qualified leads like in terms of ease of closing? Like, yeah. Like how fast can we close um, that particular persona or person? And what's the value or what's the contract value that you usually get um, from uh, this profile? So what we've learned is that architects uh, seem to be good in terms of uh, getting people to convert fast. And what's low is definitely the uh, general contractors or the business owners. So those are like the two initial questions that we ask. Now, in terms of figuring out, so that's like the first le- level or the first layer. But there's also a second layer, which is, okay, what are the types of information that we should get from these uh, people? So just to use a different uh, case study, uh, because I think it's more clear than other case study, because it's a much more familiar space. But in the interior design industry, when we talk with the business development team, we've they normally have criteria on what's a good size deal. So, and there's normally an indicator on how you can close a good size deal. So, when we had that conversation with them, they've identified two factors, so which is location and um, size of the home. Um, so, because uh, we have like three uh, targets in mind for them, so it's either people who live in houses, people who live in condominiums, and people who live, not live, but, uh, but, but business owners who need to furnish their office. So there's like some certain criteria that it's normally location and size. So in simple terms, it's actually something that we don't know upfront, but rather it's something that reveals itself um, through a conversation. So normally when we take on a B2B client, uh, it's normally required that this B2B client has been in business for about uh, a couple of years um, minimum uh, because it's only up at that point where the business owner or the business development team uh, know that what are the identifying factors that lead to a qualified lead. And it's a it's like a piece of information that we only know through that um, initial diagnosis meeting or that, that initial conversation. Yeah, it makes sense. I, I had uh, interviewed a guest previously and we were talking about, you know, knowing your numbers and, and we got into the conversation of the lifetime value, cost of acquisition, right. um, you know, how, what's the time to close? Is it a 30-day sales cycle or is it a six-month sales cycle? And, yeah. and you're right. So as a new business, often you don't know that. You're just doing whatever you can to get some sales in the door so you can keep the lights on to figure right. out what's going to work. Yeah. Yep, definitely. So I wouldn't recommend in general for a B2B business to actually reach out to an agency early, early on. So I would recommend until you get a good handle on your sales process first. And I think it's a responsibility that business owners or the executive team needs to do first before outsourcing it. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, well, I guess, you know, like you said, they've got to, they've got to have enough revenue to, to justify having an agency and they better have a, a really clear understanding what their goals are, or, you know, you're going to have a meeting with them and, and they're not going to know what, uh, what to ask for. Right. Right. Exactly. So in terms of business B2B stuff that we're talking about, I'm seeing lots of stuff on LinkedIn. Yeah. So, you, you know, 
what what's your thoughts on 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 LinkedIn or AdWords or Facebook for lead generation? So if you're looking at the three, you know, do you want to just give us a highlight on on kind of what you see as the strategy or opportunity? Is one better than the other, or do you use all of them? So when it comes to larger businesses, uh, LinkedIn outreach definitely works the best. Uh, for SMEs, I notice it's a mix. Actually, not a mix, but uh, I have a. F- strong preference for Facebook ads still. So let me explain that. So for for LinkedIn in particular, it works really well if the messaging is done correctly. So I think one common mistake that I'm seeing is that uh, when people do these uh, outreach activities to other people, they don't customize the messaging. So it's like, hey, like, hey, comma, like there's no like, indication of the person's name and they just use a standard template like hey this is what we're offering etc now uh, i have an issue with that because i think the mindset that you need to have when it comes to linkedin outreach is you need to ask yourself what are the first things that you say when you get introduced to someone in a conference so when you're in a conference you don't say something like hey um this is what i do this is what i offer and by the way here's my pdf downloaded online so you don't like go <laughs> strong like that uh, in the initial conversation so yep, for me yep. for example when uh when i do my own personal linkedin outreach uh it's very like simple and non-salesy at all so for example i would see something like hey mike I noticed that you're in the e-commerce space. I just wanted to connect with other uh, founders in that space. And, and that's pretty much it. So it's like very simple, non-salesy. And it's literally just a introduction or literally just like a hello. Now, because it, it actually links uh, to what I've mentioned earlier about personal branding. Because personal branding, it's not just on the Facebook page, but you can also sync it with your LinkedIn. Because the selling isn't necessarily done in the outreach or in the direct messages, but the selling actually happens um, in your feed. So you need to provide a lot of like content first because again, just going back to a point earlier, you'll need to kind of go over the trust hurdle first. So people don't buy immediately or they don't download your PDF uh, right from the get-go in the connection request. Uh, People download the PDF uh, once they see that you're actually a sincere person looking to help out. So normally what happens is, uh, I do the outreach first and I don't do any follow-ups. So what I do then is that for about seven to 14 days, uh, they get to see my content in my feed. And then after seven to 14 days, I then reach out and say, hey, we have a, uh, well, not say we have a space, but um, we have this thing. Let's say it's a PDF or a webinar, um, it's totally complimentary, totally free. Maybe you're interested since you're also in the same space. So that's where the selling happens right after you've done some work in building trust through your feed. So that's how I would structure it. So it's not like hard selling, like a, like in a cold call translated to LinkedIn outreach. The process for social selling is actually quite different. No, I, I agree. And it's, it's, I'm just asking because, you know, uh, we're both kind of in the same space. Right. And um, I'm always surprised at how many pitches I get. Mm-hmm for LinkedIn outreach and how poorly they're done. I was looking at my spam folder in my business account and I've got, how many do I have? One, (laughs) two, three, four, five. I have five appointments in the last two days or five emails in the last two days of people offering to have a phone call with me to to help me grow my business through LinkedIn outreach. Wow. And, and you notice that I started with, they're in my spam folder. Mm-hmm. So I can only assume that if I hired them, that their messages to my prospects would be in the spam folder as well. So right. there's an example of how not to do it. Yeah. Um, a post like you said, hey, build the relationship first. And I've been guilty of that. I've tried with my LinkedIn before where I've sent a, sent a canned message, had my EA send a long message. I'm thinking, hang on a sec. Nobody types, you know, 
five paragraphs of content mm -hmm. into a LinkedIn chat. That's, you know, that's it's short and sweet because it's like sending a text message. Mm -hmm. And uh, don't get me wrong, I also did that as well before because uh, I think as marketers, we just experiment with everything. So we see something <laughs> in the marketplace, it you assume that it works for them, so you try it out as well. But over time, you test out different messages, uh, soft sell, hard sell, and all that. And then over time, at least me, I started to realize that, hey, soft selling actually works much, much better. So at least in terms of uh, response rates, it used to be higher before. So I think the response rate, I think, three to five years ago was about 17%. Now the standard rate that I'm seeing, at least for some, some of my clients, about seven to 9%. Response rate meaning they actually reply to the outreach uh, that is sent out. So, th so they don't just accept, but they also reply. So uh, that's the rates that I'm seeing so far. And it's and by and large, if you still like zoom out and compare it to Facebook ads or Google ads, that's still a good number. Because if you think about it, people who download your PDF through Facebook ads is a very, very low lum low number. So I think it's about 2% or 3%. So as compared to LinkedIn outreach, which is about 7%, in terms of like the hard numbers, uh, you still get a better probability of closing a deal through LinkedIn outreach. And then um, how does that compare to using uh, Google AdWords? So, I mean, I'm assuming you, you take a, a multimedia approach for your client advertising. Right. Uh, so for Google AdWords, so for Google AdWords, it's a bit tricky because um, it really depends on the industry, um, not because of the quality of the keywords, but simply because of the fierce competition. So I think as a general rule, um, when you're in a space, like say, for example, IT staffing, so one of our clients uh, tries to help out businesses that find IT staff, whether it is a developer or whether it is customer support or a network engineer overseas, so maybe in Asia or in Europe. So at least for that space, since it's extremely, extremely competitive, it's really hard for them to compete in um, what's normally construed as the right keywords. So for example, IT staffing in, let's say, Ukraine or something. So the cost per click there is extremely difficult uh, just because there's so much demand. So I think it's about $15 to about $25 per click. So at least for them, it's really, really tough in that space. So what we do for clients like theirs is that we do just what I mentioned earlier in the diagnostic process, which is we really break it down. Okay, let's not focus on the keyword, but rather we should focus on the audience or we should focus on the market. So can you tell me what are the different markets or what are the different audiences that you serve and what are the different services that you serve? And what we concluded was that in terms of opportunity areas, the opportunity area where there's not a lot of competition is AWS developer, because that is a very niche industry within the IT staffing space. So hire AWS developer or offshore AWS developer. So AWS is Amazon Web Services. So, so you can see how niche we got there. So that's one opportunity area. And the other opportunity area that we found was NetSuite um, developer as well. So from sure. a very broad term, which is web developers, we really niche down to the keywords which are less competitive, which results in better cost per click and eventually better cost per lead. And at the same time, since we also had that qualified leads discussion early on, we also identified people who click these ads or rather search for these keywords are, they're also, as we've identified, qualified leads. So that uh, that's what's working right now on Google Ads. 
Well, and I think to your point of qualifying them by by drilling down on the keyword, for example, using NetSuite, yeah. I mean, you know, you, you, you get an idea of the quality of person who's a NetSuite developer versus just putting it, you know, trying to look for computer programmers or IT professionals. You're really niching it down, like you said, so less competition, Correct. higher quality response, somebody that fits the bill that you're looking for. Right. What about negative keywords? Do you guys, um, do you guys use negative keywords at all to detract people or um, repel people from clicking that aren't your audience? Yes, uh, you should definitely do a negative keywords. Um, so in terms of how we do it, the way we do it is that uh, we normally use uh, a tool. So at least internally, we use this tool called keywordtool.io. And uh, what it does is that uh, once you Im- input a root keyword, so say, for example, like web developer, what it does is that it produces all of the other words that are usually searched alongside web developer. So, for example, AWS web developer, among others. So there's like a huge list there. And uh, what we do is that uh, we figure out which of the keywords are not indicators of a qualified lead. And the best way to figure it out is to actually manually look into it one by one. So what we do is that when we see a keyword, what we do is that we search it ourselves. And then we look at the search results to figure out if if the results show other service businesses or if it's something else. Because the, the concept that you need to understand as well when doing this is the concept of search intent because uh, Google wouldn't put things in the search page if they didn't feel like or they didn't think that it is relevant to their customer. So the algorithm actually adjusts to the customer when uh, when they showed the search results page. So for example, if you search for something like, um, let's, let's use a simple example like bedsheets. And if you search for bedsheets and you see a lot of general informational content about bedsheets and not necessarily a bedsheet product, then what that normally indicates is that people are still educating themselves in that space. Um, and if there's a lot of products there, they're actually not looking for that specific product that you're selling. So instead of like that keyword, you need to choose something like, say, for example, bamboo bedsheets, because uh, there's some bedsheets which use bamboo as a, as an internal component or internal ingredient. So if you see a lot of product or service um, listings there, then what that indicates to you is that uh, people are actually looking for a service or a product at that point. So in other words, it's a high intent keyword sure. or a highly qualified keyword. So going back to the keyword tool.io um, story, which I mentioned earlier. So what we normally do is that for that 1,000, no, not 1,000, but 100 to 200 plus keywords, we actually check it one by one. And if we see a keyword which is not qualified, we take out um, one of the words in that keyword and then use it as a negative keyword. So it's a very tedious process, but it's the right process when it comes to this marketplace. Like it's like it's getting really, really competitive. And the ones who usually win are the ones who make that extra effort in checking all of the keywords. So that's what we do for negative keywords. Yeah, I mean, it totally makes sense. I mean, even if you think about the buyer's journey when people would uh-huh. use a, might use a tool like one of the websites that that, that rates, uh, you know, one of the rating sites or the competitive sites. So you start your research there. So if I'm looking for a piece of software, I might go to one of those sites where it says, hey, let's compare Salesforce to NetSuite. Yeah. Um, well, I'm clearly not ready to buy yet. I'm trying to figure out what one I should buy, opposed to searching, if I'm searching on Salesforce and then I'm a better, a better lead if you're using that as a keyword. Yeah. 
What one of the things that we've done because we work in the equities market, often helping people raise money, is we'll put a uh, put the minimum investment level right, right in the ad, and mm-hmm. that's not to, it's not a bragging point. It's, it's it's just the opposite. It's like if you know if you're not a you know sophisticated investor and you can't invest uh, you know invest fifty thousand dollars US, yeah, we really don't want you clicking on the ad because you're wasting our resources and you're more than that you're wasting your own time because at the end of the day, it's it's not a fit for you. Right, right. Yeah, that definitely helped us well. Like putting a, so we call it a qualifier. So you put a qualifier up front in the ad. So what normally happens is that uh, the cost per click will get higher, but in terms of the qualified leads that people are actually looking for, they tend to be much, much happier. And I think in terms of the debate, which is volume over quality, I think after working with a whole bunch of uh, B2B folks, quality is almost always way, way more important than quantity. So they're much more happy to see like one solid lead for a quarter. Like if their deal value is like, let's say $50,000 plus, like just having that one qualified lead per month or even per quarter is more than enough for them. And it just pays out um, the fee that we're charging them for. Well, and I think the other thing you need to consider too is that the cost of the lead is only part of that. Right. That the behind the lead, you've got it going into a CRM and then you've got a salesperson. And how many times is that salesperson going to take their time to to call that person or email them or text them to to get to the point where they get a, a no, I'm not qualified. Yeah. Um, so the cost of the lead goes way up, way beyond what you've spent on advertising because now you're you're taking you know a people resource and and directing them there. Yeah, that's a great insight. Like uh, there's a hidden cost definitely. So I think the best term I think is like you need to go beyond the cost per lead, but you also need to look at the cost per cost per qualified marketing lead almost. So and you can only factor that in once you can factor in the um the salesperson's time. So that's definitely a great insight. Well, and like you said, and once you've been in business for a while, you know, you know that it takes, you know, three months to, to close a deal and the average deal is X and your salesperson closes X percentage. So it makes your, probably makes your work a little bit easier if they can share that data with you as you're helping them build out their marketing strategy. Right, right. Definitely. So um, a couple of questions for you. What are you most excited about in the next year in uh, in your business? I mean, the world's changing so fast now. And I heard somebody just the other day say, it's never been cheaper or easier to get into a business online. Mm-hmm. So here we have a rush of people coming into the business. So what what keeps you awake at night with excitement? So at least on a personal level, like the way I'm trying to evolve my business is that uh, we're trying to, to transition to what's called a hybrid agency. And what I mean by hybrid agency is that apart from giving services uh, to deliver like higher ROI for clients, we also try to deliver higher ROI through software. So internally, um, we're trying to translate whatever we're doing on a service level or on a labor level into a tooling or a software level. So that's really exciting for me because there's so much tools out there which enables even the least technical person to make their own version. So for example, like there's this uh, trend nowadays that's called the no-code trend. So there are tools which, which is kind of like a drag and drop tool where you can make your own internal software. So I think that's really, really empowering because uh, not only for me, because it helps me expand my base of revenue channels, but it's also empowering for the general business owner because they can now have the power to create their own internal tools. So I think the best example for that is Bubble. So Bubble.io. So that's one good example of a no-code tool. And another tool um, which is getting really popular in Silicon Valley is Coda. So it's CO. DA.io, if, if I got that domain right. So these are two um, software, not really software, but uh, these are the two no-code tools, which is like driving change in the industry. And I think it's really exciting. 
Well, see, that's why I'm super excited to interview smart people like you, because again, I learned a couple new things. I've never heard of a no-code tool before. Yeah, it's amazing. So it's, you literally can, you can, like, uh, it doesn't do like things like AI or ML. So, I mean, but if it's something like a simple business application, like you can build your own CRM or your own, um, let's say, payroll management tool um, using that software. So it's really amazing. Well, that's really cool. So what, what's some of the bad advice that you hear in the industry? I mean, you're, you know, obviously you've got deep expertise in the industry. You're out serving clients. You're likely speaking at events and attending trade shows. And uh, what's mm-hmm. the advice that you overhear uh, people um, offering up in terms of uh, marketing that you say, hey, r- wrong advice? Yeah. So I think there's like two things um, that come into mind. So I think one advice that I'm hearing, which I think is like really bad, um, is uh, a new like a new business can start off with paid ads upfront. Like on day one, you can start doing um, Facebook ads or Google ads. I think that's really, really bad because you don't really know what the right angle is for your business or you don't know what the right target is for your business. So doing all of that testing online, sure, it can be done, but it's really going to be costly. So I'm a big fan of doing things like organically yourself first. So doing like one-on-one sales, uh, reaching out to your network, et cetera. So it has to start organically first because one thing is that uh, it's cheaper. So you won't run, you won't go out of business like after six months because you're running ads. And yeah, so I think you need to do things organically first because I noticed some folks approach us uh, with barely anything set up uh, in their website uh, with uh, little clients, let's say one or two clients, and they want to start scaling. So I think I think the concept here is that you shouldn't you shouldn't scale prematurely. Like things need to happen organically, meaning you serve clients and you need to see that these clients are referring you to other people, right? So it means that the customer or the client retention is healthy. It means that uh, you know the right angle is. And once you know the right angle, once you get the operations cleaned up and well systematized and well oiled only then should you start looking for paid ads or that's only the that's the only time you should start scaling up um, your marketing and service so i think that's one bad advice that i heard and the other bad advice is i think i think for many small business owners you just get saturated with all of these like direct response tactics so i think you know what i mean which is like the ads which has really really long ad copy and stuff i think that's okay um if you're targeting other small business owners and targeting people who are in the marketing and sales space so that's totally fine if you're targeting folks like that but if you apply the same concepts to other industries, like say, for example, like construction or in more traditional spaces or in food, it just doesn't work. So what I normally advise when people are exposed to that advice is that you need to look at the marketing principle behind it. So you try to understand what the person is actually doing on a marketing level. So you don't have to do the hard sales stuff, but you try to understand the principles. For example, you need to learn how to empathize. You need to learn how to design an offer. You need to learn how to uh, create additional value. And then you start with these concepts and then you translate it in a way that makes sense for your industry, makes sense for your brand, because direct response isn't exactly a long-term strategy. So it does get you sales in the short run, but it's not sustainable in the long run. They can't do all of these direct responses all the time. So at least for industries like the construction space or in the in much more traditional spaces, short form is actually better and like less hard selling 
can also be better. So uh, I think direct response, again, it works in certain contexts and certain spaces. But I think the key thing that people need to take out there is that you need to understand the marketing principle behind it. And then you try to translate that principle into what works for your industry. So it takes a bit of uh, experience, I guess, uh, to figure that out. But I think that's one bad advice that I'm hearing. Well, and I think you're right. I mean, if you, you know, if you're selling face to face and having conversations with customers, you very quickly start to learn what their objections are, their concerns are, why they're doing business with you, why they chose you over the competitor, what research they did before they came to you as a business. So Mm -hmm. you get that market insight. And I won't say it's for free, but I mean, virtually for free. I mean, you generate, you know, you've closed a sale. And then, like you said, you can take those findings. Yeah. And then find an agency like your agency to work with and say, hey, this is this is what I know um, and shorten that um, shorten that learning curve on digital advertising and reduce the cost by by starting out with a, a good baseline and some base knowledge. Definitely. Yep. That's definitely correct. That will that will definitely increase your probability of success and hopefully reduce your advertising costs and time to, to get make your advertising uh, produce. Definitely. Yep. So who's one guest I absolutely have to have on my podcast? Um, so I think there's this guy uh, named Ben Kochavi. So B-E-N space K-O-C-H-A-V-Y. So he's this uh, growth marketing consultant in uh, Los Angeles. So he does a lot of great work for um, startups, whether it is in the B2B or B2C space. I think he specializes more in the B2B space. But uh, I think he shares my mindset where you need to do a lot of experimentation before you get to before you find the right like angle, before the re- you find the right ad, uh, before you start scaling. Because uh, he also takes a strategic approach, meaning he will look at uh, all of the channels first, analyze it, test it out. And then if there's a channel that works much, much better than the rest, then he scales that up further. Because again, I think one philosophy that I have before working on a client is, well, we need to understand first, like what's the right channel? Is it LinkedIn? Is it Facebook? Is it uh, Instagram, et cetera? And you only get to know that through like uh, broad testing, uh, which is what he also does. Super. I appreciate the, uh, I appreciate the uh, referral. And if you have, um, have access to his contact information, if you'd introduce us, that'd be amazing. And I'll sure. reach out to him and uh, get him on the show. So awesome. next most awesome. important question is, Ken, where is the best place that people can find you online, connect with you, your agency, learn more about what you're doing and how you help your clients make more money? Sure. Um, there are a couple of channels. Uh, so there is on my website, so monolithgrowth.com. So once you get to that website, uh, there's a form uh, where you can uh, opt in for a free complimentary audit. So it's like the 3040 complimentary um, analysis slash slides, which I mentioned earlier. So the booking form there actually goes straight to me. So it doesn't go to like a, like a business development manager or anything like that, because uh, I want to make sure that we show uh, our value. So the booking calendar there goes straight to me. So that's one area. And the other area where you can reach out to me as well is through LinkedIn. So I'm very active on LinkedIn. So you can have a chat there if you prefer the channel. Cool. Yep. I'm looking at your LinkedIn profile. So um, it's a um, great, great way to connect. So I just want to say thanks for taking time out of your day today and sure. just being generous and sharing with uh, with sharing with our listeners uh, kind of your your experience from uh, years of helping, uh, helping uh, lots of companies to be more successful. Awesome. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So there you go, listeners. There's another episode of Real Marketing Real Fast. And we had uh, Ken Costellas, uh, founder and the lead consultant at Monolith Growth Consulting. I hope that you took some notes today. I know I took a whole page of notes. I was just, uh-huh. my writing was getting smaller at the bottom as I was taking more notes. So make sure you uh, check out his website or check him out on LinkedIn and uh, see how his uh, marketing approach works on LinkedIn.
I'm super excited to have this conversation with them and hopefully it added lots of value. So we look forward to serving you on our next episode. That's all for this episode of Real Marketing Real Fast. Now it's time to take your marketing to the next level by visiting DougMorneau.com and downloading our advanced marketing white papers as well as exclusive resources based on today's episode. That's DougMorneau.com. Until next time, we look forward to serving you right here on Real Marketing Real Fast.